Like book club meets letterboxd meets greatest hits meets happy hour, but all about TV. Every week, three friends make and debate the case if a show is truly essential viewing. Listen for the hot takes and stay for the camaraderie. I'm Ezra. I'm Mallory. I'm Gina, and this is The Essentials. This week, we're talking about 24, the eight-season action drama series that ran on Fox from 2001 to 2010 and is now streaming on Hulu in the U.S. 24 also spawned a made-for-TV movie called Redemption and two spin-off series. The latest one, 24 Legacy, completed its run in 2017. As always, a general warning about spoilers. We will be discussing everything from 24. Does that really ruin a TV show? We don't think so. Now, let's get into it. Oh, man, I've been so excited to talk about (laughs) this one with you ladies since this podcast was in its infancy. And here we are. Season finale of the first season of our podcast with one of my favorite TV shows, 24. And here's a little summary, way more than two sentences, but here we go. 24 is a serialized action drama series which covers 24 hours in the life of counter-terrorist unit agent Jack Bauer. The show is revolutionary in that it uses the real-time method of narration and emphasizes this with an on-screen clock that counts down every hour, minute, and second of the day's events. The first season introduces Jack, his wife Terry, and daughter Kim, and subsequent seasons are shaped by season one's tumultuous events. While this show is best viewed collectively as a complete season, I get it. This is for you, Gina. 24 episodes is a huge commitment. But the following episodes are some of my favorites in season one and really lay the groundwork for the rest of the entire series. So episode one, the pilot, of course, 12 a.m. to 1 a.m. Episode two, 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. Episode 23, 10 p.m. to 11 p.m., and the final episode of season one, the finale, episode 24, 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. However, if you can swing it, find yourself sucked in, trust your instincts, and damn it, watch all 24 episodes of season one, please. So yeah, I'm just going to dive in for a little bit on some backstory about why it might seem weird that I would love this show so much. Uh, podcast listeners, I'm a black woman. I probably shouldn't like this show because of some of the troubling police brutality and xenophobia that it depicts. But there's a story why I love it. Like, if you've been listening to this podcast regularly by now, you know that my essential TV viewing comes with a level of emotional attachment that some could view as extra. And my devotion to 24, Jack Bauer and Kiefer Sutherland, are no exception. Ironically, my Jamaican mother introduced me to this show when I was a freshman in high school, and it became an obsession for the both of us and something that we bonded over for like 14 years. So my mom was like very strict, and I wouldn't really be allowed to watch TV super late at night at 9 p.m. when 24 aired because I got to keep up those grades, those straight A's, AP classes, freshman year of high school. But she let me stay up late to watch 24 with her. And it was just like a very special thing for me. So I was obviously going through a lot personally as a nerdy freshman trying to make my way in this like predominantly white school. 
but I was also trying to deal with the threat of terrorist attacks and drills because my town in Connecticut, where I grew up, manufactured Blackhawk helicopters. Uh-huh. So I distinctly remember on 9-11 that we literally had to do drills and we had to just have contingency plans in case anyone was going to target our town. So I think I connected so much to 24 because I was searching personally for a hero and because, surprise, surprise, our president at the time was pretty incompetent and there was a sense of fear and paranoia engulfing the country. So my relationship throughout the years with 24 is very complicated, especially, as I said, like some of the things that I was debating with people about 24 years ago have come to the forefront in 2020 namely police brutality, xenophobia, and vigilantism, to name a few. And so it's with that context that about two months ago, I actually did a full rewatch of the entire franchise from start to finish, including the TV uh, movie Redemption, which is just a glorious, glorious TV movie. Even if they did just make Africa one country, there's way more countries in Africa, Joel Cernow, just so you know. But here are some reasons why I love this show and why it holds up basically 20 years later, like it premiered 20 years ago, 19 years ago. So I think that the groundbreaking storytelling format, like it really holds true. There were plenty of TV shows that were procedurals before 24. There were plenty of spy thrillers before 24. Think like MacGyver, La Femme Nikita, stuff like that. And there were also a lot of like successful political thrillers and political dramas. But before 24, there were very few that successfully combined all these formats into one package. And the New York Times made an interesting point in their 2010 review of the season finale by saying that even Alias, which is an amazing show, love it, you should watch it. It didn't last. It premiered before 24, It only lasted a few seasons and it didn't even survive. So they were trying to posit, like, why is 24 survived? Why has it spawned so many additional franchises, so many reboots, so many TV movies? Like, what about 24 has just made it such a cultural zeitgeist, even though it has such intense debates surrounding it? And they said that the innovative use of the real-time countdown clock was one of the reasons why this show has staying power. It cemented the franchise's place as unique in the realm of these countless action dramas which came before and have come after. And this is like a major, major hot take. I would say that we wouldn't have Archer if we didn't have Jack Bauer. Because frankly, 24 went there uh, in a way that no major character was ever truly safe. And I think that was also pretty fascinating at the time, how 24 was just willing to kill off like very, very important characters. Literally like laughing at themselves sometimes with the amount of of, like major character deaths that happened throughout the series. And TV Guide went as far as rating the season one finale of 24 as number two on their list of most shocking TV deaths of all time. Another reason why I think this show stands up is the perpetual now. So regardless of the fact that the tech features on this show always improves as the show gets further along in the seasons, like it starts with flip phones, 
and then it ends with iPhones. But I'd argue that the show remains highly topical because the setting is the perpetual now. There's no calendar years, apart from the mention of elapsed time season to season. And this allows the viewer to think this could easily be happening in 2020, as it would have felt in 2001. And the show's willingness to show the true ugliness that happens in the criminal justice and policing systems of the world is just eye-opening to me, personally. Uh, another reason is the iconic and diverse casting. Like, Kiefer Sutherland aside, show stars a white man. I love him so much, and I think he's very sexy as Jack Bauer, personally. But I will say that 24, at the time, had one of the most diverse casts. By casting Dennis Haysburg as the first black president in season one of 24, nearly eight years before Barack Obama's election, it's been argued that millions of Americans were then able to visualize what that could look like because it was more plausible to make that decision in real life because the opportunity had been presented on screen. And in a 2008 interview with Digital Spy, Haysburg himself fed into this line of thinking. And he said, if anything, my portrayal of David Palmer may have helped open the eyes of the American people. And I mean the American people across the board, from the poorest to the richest, every color and creed, every religious base, to prove the possibility that there could be an African-American president, a female president, any type of president that puts the people first. And all in all, the show in its entirety depicted the administrations of not one but two black presidents and a female president before it would even become reality. And despite the creation of these diverse presidents, I'll also say that the show didn't shy away from casting dynamic women in like powerful action roles. I've listed many, many that I love, but Aisha Tyler, Gina Torres, Kim Raver, Sarah Clark, Penny Johnson Gerald, Mary Lynn Raj. Ryko Aylesworth, and Annie Weshing, to name a few. And I'll end with my last point on why this show stands up, the score. So I've mentioned this before. I studied film scoring in grad school. I actually met John Callery backstage at an NYU event a few years ago, and he's like the most humble person that I've ever met. His heart-wrenching score not to mention his like sound design chops to incorporate the ticking clocks into the music just added to the suspense and the action on screen and just sucks you in. And with that, I'll let Ezra and Gina dive in on their initial thoughts. Oh my gosh, Mallory, your, your intro <laughs> is more so a deep dive <laughs> than, than, than like an, an initial reaction. Just wait for um, a deep dive. Wait till yeah. the deep dive. Well, the more we talk, the more you edit. So. <laughs> I will keep my reaction pretty short um, because I don't have too much to say on, or like nothing particularly profound about this show. Knowing you and having heard many times about how, how great the music is, Sean Callery's score definitely stood out. And I found myself uh, thinking also back to our discussion on what makes music seem or sound patriotic from our West Wing discussion. And so just hearing some of the, like the flutes and the the strings mixed in with like the, the ticking clock, I was like, wow, like this, this show really does scream like America. And the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, it's literally ingrained in my brain how many times I've listened to that soundtrack. <laughs> Despite my sort of just natural reticence to like the show because of its really problematic history, I did find myself like getting sucked in and getting not necessarily like invested, but I like the show and I followed the show much more than I thought I would. And I think that is a testament to actually like just how well constructed it is. And I also really appreciated the format a lot more than I thought I would. I did think it was like, this is like music, music to my ears. (laughs) I did think it was hokey, but I loved seeing um, how much time was saved watching this show without commercials. (laughs) That was the worst part of watching this show live. Like I watched it when it was on the air, like every single season. I even once and my husband will through this room I once destroyed his laptop because I got so invested and I jumped up to scream and literally smashed his laptop to bits in between a commercial break oh my god yeah commercial breaks were the worst part of this show well Ezra what did you think about the show I agree with a lot of the points that you made especially the point about how I found myself getting more invested in the show than I anticipated because I don't know if I've said this, but I'm not a fan of action dramas. I, I personally don't get anything out of them. I'm really into character study. If you've listened to the Pose legendary podcast, you'll know that I love a good character study and this, this has it definitely, but I, my heart was racing watching a lot of the episodes because the countdown, I remember seeing like the 30 minute mark and I'm going, what else could happen in 30 minutes that hasn't already happened? And then we get to the 15 mark and I'm like, what else could happen in 15 minutes? And the pacing's just really great. And I really like the structure too. And I'm a huge fan of um, Marilyn Rake Scub. Oh, sorry. Let me. Well, I butchered her name and I'm so sorry because Chloe is like one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah. Mary Lynn um, Ricegeb, I really love her. She has a tendency to appear in really small roles in some of my favorite movies, including Little Miss Sunshine. So she was really great in that. And uh, then- also, Mr. Show. Did you watch yeah. Mr. Show? She was dating uh, David Cross for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of been floating around and I'm glad that she has like huge star power in this one. I sometimes had a hard time with my suspension of disbelief in that there were (laughs) so many flip phones. I get that the technology improves, but even seeing iPhones that old, I was just like, what the hell? What what time do you guys live in? Exactly, right? You don't know. They're just all the technology felt really old to me in age. So I was just like, eh. but I did find the clicking clacking of the keyboards really soothing. I will say that. I also appreciate the stellar guest star power. You have Daniel Day Kim, you have Dennis Hopper, uh, you have Taima, you have Shora Agdashlu. It's all great. 
and you're able to say her name and to say her I'm, name so nicely. Yeah. I were uh, to attempt just to respect all the people that we, you know, highlight. I've been studying pronunciation on YouTube because I don't want to butcher any <laughs> name because I personally hate it when people call me Ezra or when they find out how to really pronounce my name, they go Ezra. And I'm like, nope, that's don't do that. Oh my gosh. Uh, all great points. So I know that you said that what I mentioned before was a deep dive, but just wait, because we're about to get in it, people. We're about to talk about some Greek mythology. We're about to talk about philosophy. We're going to talk about some ugly political and xenophobic tendencies that this show has. So here we go. Deeper dive. Hear me out. 24 is an epic poem, and Jack Bauer is Odysseus. So like Odysseus's 10-year journey home after the Trojan War, one could argue that Jack Bauer is on a journey of his own, except in Jack's case, his home was violently ripped away from him, and that's the catalyst for the epic poem that follows throughout the entire franchise. Throughout the preceding eight seasons, after season one's brutal climax, Jack is searching for a new home to call his own. And each time he's called in to quote-unquote battle with a new adversary, i.e. Odysseus's myth, like mythological monsters, the Medusas, the Sirens, Jack is sidetracked from that ultimate journey of going home. And he has to continue to dehumanize himself to do what must be done so that way he can resume his mission of true love and solace. Because that's all Jack wants. And the show, the show like is very cruel in the fact that anytime Jack gets love, it's taken away from him in really like violent fashion. And I would say that this all comes brutally to a head during the events of season four. And again, in season eight, there was, I was just saying like the love between Audrey Reigns played by Kim Raver and Jack Bauer is one of the most beautiful love stories that I've ever seen on television. And the fact that the producers recognized the chemistry between the two actors on screen and stretched out that romance for basically three seasons and then an additional fifth season in a reboot. Season nine, which was called 24 Live Another Day, which came out in 2014, like reintroduces Audrey back into the cast. And you're like, what the fuck? I thought that like their love was done in the end of season six, but nope, she's back. And I just think that this show really plays with the notion of Jack as Odysseus because Audrey is Odysseus's wife, I would say, in this entire show. There are obviously other women who come into his life, most notably Renee Walker, played by Annie Weshing, who is just a badass actress in general. And she does most of her stunts as Kiefer did most of his stunts. And the love that they have is one that starts off as disdain, but then mutual respect and then love. And she is taken away from him and he goes on a fucking rampage Like, I don't agree with the vigilantism that you're seeing on screen, but the show is, like, making a case that as Odysseus, that love is ripped again away from him, and he just needs to go and fight those monsters, fight Medusa, and not be ensnared into the siren's web, 
And then he just goes deeper inside of himself again as he tries to get some semblance of normalcy in his life to get that home that he's never had. Thoughts before I go into the next section? So this might be a stupid question, but is like 24 still kind of ongoing? And like, is, is there space for it to like get rebooted or revived again with Kiefer Sutherland? Like if you wanted to do more? Kiefer has floated coming back. They were the latest from Fox is that they were thinking about doing a prequel series, exploring young Jack Bauer with Kiefer being attached that way. Uh, As of 2020, it's on hold indefinitely, but the last reboot of the show was in 2017 called 24 Legacy, which starred a a new lead, a black lead, the Black Bauer. No joke. Hashtag Black Bauer was used. Did not agree with it. I thought it was really awesome that they tried to have like a black lead as a Jack Bauer type. And they did have some tie-ins with Tony Almeida showing up and they were planning this whole like extension of like the 24 universe throughout this series, but just didn't do well because the show, in my opinion, falls flat if you don't have Kiefer Sutherland because he is just so passionate about what he brings to Jack Bauer and and he's committed to doing his own stunts and that level of authenticity is just so visible on screen. And he just like sucked into the role so much. I don't think that anyone else could have done it justice. So I I could definitely see Kiefer coming back in like his 60s and 70s as like, old Jack Bauer, what's he going to do now? But I think that this franchise will never die so long as there is this feeling of unrest that will get certain parts of the country excited and ramped up to watch good old American boys kicking ass, just being honest. Cool. (laughs) I'm just like saying like it is like, I love this show and, but it's literally geared towards middle America, Republican leaning fan bases. And it's interesting that I clearly don't fall into that fan base. And another one of my really good friends, Devendra Hardwar, who is like Guyanese, also loves this show and clearly doesn't fit into the demographic that 24 was targeting. And my mother doesn't fit into this demographic. So clearly this show can bridge. But it's really not meant for someone like me (laughs) to like this show as much as I do. Go for it. I know you're something's in there. Something's brewing. You want to say something. Let it out. <laughs> There's a lot of different threads. I, I think it, the comparison to the Odyssey is a really interesting one, especially since what we consider like the journey part is really only like it's actually only the first half of the story. And the second part is more the political machinations on the island when Odysseus finally makes it home, but realizes like home has kind of been overtaken by all the men who are trying to step into the vacuum of his absence and uh, gain the throne and and gain his wife. But then it's also uh, the, the ending of the Odyssey really talks a lot about patriarchal relationships and uh, power and also sometimes the futility of of action at times with Athena bringing divine intervention to bring peace to Ithaca. Um, It's kind of, 
it, it in some ways actually like goes against your argument that Jack Bauer is Ulysses and like resolving things because I think well actually no I, I think you're you're right actually like just that man can only beget more violence no matter what he does even in trying to bring peace and that's also like dovetails perfectly into my other big thing about Jack Bauer and there's actually been like a lot of philosophers who've written about this and there's actually a book that came out 24 philosophers on 24 and basically the thesis is that Jack Bauer is a believer of Machiavellianism and he believes in moral superiority and doing anything to get the job done and he views himself as morally superior to anyone around him and I would say that Kiefer's depiction of him is more aligned with moral relativism more than anything else. And so just to like take a step back in the philosophical school of thought, moral relativism is a belief that no one is truly right. And to be morally superior is to rise above that conflict to make quote unquote better decisions than those around you. So throughout the entire franchise, the viewer is asked to question whether Jack is truly behaving in a way that is morally superior or whether he's veered into self-righteousness, wherein he's intolerant of others' beliefs, including the laws of the country and of mankind. And more crucially, we're asked, what actually separates Jack from the villains depicted on screen? So as his actions become more and more erratic, and he steps further outside the boundaries of what can be legally and the bounds of the Constitution defined as justice, it becomes truly uncomfortable making that distinction between Jack as hero or villain and whether his actions are in service of the greater good or his own personal interests, which kind of dovetails perfectly into Odysseus and returning home and the political machinations. So in his own words during season seven, when Jack Bauer is asked if he regrets any of the things he's done in his past, he says, and I quote, I've been wrestling with this my whole life. I see 15 people held hostage on a bus and everything else goes out of the window. I will do whatever it takes to save them. And I mean, whatever it takes. I guess maybe I thought if I could save them, I could save myself. So ultimately, the show refuses to pass judgment on whether our servicemen and women in the police forces, the military or intelligence agencies are justified in their use of whatever means necessary to stop real life acts of terror and this debate is one of the reasons why the show is still in public discourse across both sides of the political aisle. Uh, Bill Clinton, surprise, surprise, approved of Jack Bauer's use of force. And John McCain, so the 24 was his favorite TV show of all time. So it's just like really interesting how Odysseus dovetails with these theories and schools of thought around moral relativism, superiority and self-righteousness. I would say that in the beginning of season one, when I first started watching this show, I was definitely more, Oh, Jack is like absolutely right in what he's doing. But the further along the show gets, especially the bloodbath in season eight, one major spoiler everyone in the, the consulate of russia he tries to kill because they murdered this woman that he loved renee walker like moments after she slept with him a sniper shot her to death and jack goes on a rampage under the guise of stopping a, a cover-up 
he then massacres like the Russian consulate and tries to kill the president of Russia. And it's extremely uncomfortable for me personally to watch that season because you just see how easy man can just be swayed with their own beliefs that they're doing what is right. Even though we all know as the viewers and the show doesn't ever address it, but I would hope that everyone watching would know that it's not okay to just go on a vigilante crime spree and start killing people because you're upset that your girlfriend was killed. That, that sounds like Odysseus and Telemachus and uh, murdering the uh, suitors for Penelope. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, but I think it is also interesting that to kind of connect to what you were saying earlier about the failure of 24 Legacy, that we like so so the show may or may not necessarily pass judgment on Jack Bauer and his theories of or in and his morality, but as an audience we do, and and so the long life that Kiefer Sutherland has had in the role versus the very short life of, um, who's, who was the actor who played Black Bauer? Uh, what was this? Like that we don't know his name and, and we, and his, his character only got one season. I think like that, that reflects America's judgment though, of like who we believe, uh, can be heroes or can, can, be or, or like who who were willing to watch navigate those lines and negotiate the boundaries of you know taking that power making those decisions um and deciding what exactly is necessarily like for the greater good yeah Corey hawkins Corey hawkins eric carter in yeah. 24 legacy and i personally thought that he was he's an amazing actor he's like uh big in the theater scene on Broadway. He had a couple cameos in Iron Man 3, was in Six Degrees of Separation. Great actor. I just think that Joel Sarnow and co. didn't really give him the chance to flesh out his role. One thread from the series I really liked was around PTSD in Army Vets because he was an Army Vet who was suffering from debilitating PTSD and that played into his choices. And I thought it was fascinating and interesting to see that on screen. This came out around the same time as Homeland. So maybe like the audience just gravitated more towards that depiction of a PTSD in army vets. But I thought and that a white and a, and a different white hero. Yeah, that's what and a white hero. But I personally loved what Corey Hawkins brought to the role. And it was just really sad to me that America decided nope and it was funny because there was a huge blitz around this show it premiered like right after the super bowl they spent like millions of dollars doing like an ad blitz for 24 legacy like that time slot right after the super bowl is fucking expensive and fox was like yep buying it right after no commercial going straight through and america was still like nope so it's interesting to me like that America loved seeing Dennis Haysburg as, as a black president, but they couldn't see their leading man as a black person. Ezra, is there anything you would like to add? I know that you 
had some awesome, awesome notes. And we've discussed a lot about some things, some troubling things about 24. If you'd like to take it. Oh, from- there's there's so much wrong with this show. I watched season four for research because I know season four is considered the most controversial for its subject matter. And it received complaints from Muslim organizations before a single episode even aired. This season is based around one main enemy, a terrorist named Habib Marwan. Marwan controls a series of Middle Eastern terrorist cells, of course, that launch attacks against the United States. Uh, And rather than like large acts, this season was divided into several smaller acts, depending on which terrorist threat Marwan is focusing. So you have the train bombing, which is a diversion to kidnap the Secretary of Defense and his daughter. A device from the train is used to initiate the forced meltdowns of nuclear power plants across America. Terrorists steal a stealth fighter to shoot down Air Force One. And then the terrorists steal a nuclear football, allowing them to launch a nuclear missile towards Los Angeles that must then be intercepted. I will say that is the most elaborate like of 24's device plots for, for quote unquote terrorists. So outlandish, so elaborate, and but very problematic when I was watching it as a 15-year-old. I mean, I I didn't watch the show at all. I, I'd seen bits and pieces of it because my aunt and uncle used to watch it when I was in Turkey. Like, I noticed them watching it, and they were pulled into it, and I get it. I, I watched some of it, and I understand the pull. It's really well-constructed, and it gets your heart racing. You just want to know what happens. I actually found myself fast-tracking to the next episode because I was like, wow, that ended on a really, really good spot. I think the show does... Yeah, it does the cliffhanger well, but that's speaking, you know, cliffhangers doing their job. But also, the other reason why I was drawn into this season was Shora Agdashlu. She's fantastic. And I don't think she was even nominated for an Emmy for her role. Such which is a travesty. Yeah, she's she's like the big star of this season. Um, but like... Um, you could tell there were problems with this season long before it aired. I mean, during an interview for his new television series, Homeland, Howard Gordon, who was the showrunner for 24 seasons five through eight, he was asked about any regrets from his time on the show. And he mentions a billboard advertisement for the series. He notes it as a season two advertisement, but the storyline he refers to is actually this season. On the 405 freeway, there was a massive electronic billboard with a tagline along the lines of they could be next door, which at this time, it it feeds into what this show is clearly doing. I mean, season four aired, I think, three years after 9-11. So Americans have an appetite for this sort of story, like of course it enjoyed the highest ratings in the show's history. This is what Americans want. It They ran token PSAs during the show to dissuade viewers from associating all Muslims with terrorists. But I mean, by that point, the show did its damage. And I it also... I remember that. Yeah. Oh and now, like 15 years later, we do recognize, in fact, that that billboard was right. They are next door, but that they are white supremacists, not 
Exactly. Well done, Gina. Thank you for that. I'm going to take my mic out of it to rest and drop it onto the floor. <laughs> you know what? Like, if Kiefer Sutherland were to come back and tackle white supremacy, like, I, I would be... Oh, there. I would watch the fuck out of that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think this show is better when it's not... Like, I, when the enemies are Anglo-Saxon whatever, I think it's fine. Like, if you had replaced the family in 24 with a white family, I think it would have been perfectly fine. It would okay. have worked. This is why, like, season five is one of the only seasons where 24 got the Emmy for Best Drama Series because it's about a presidential conspiracy that's oddly familiar to what happened, what's happening now with the Russia scandal. It was actually based off of the Watergate scandal. And it's one of the best seasons of the show, period, because the terrorists are white and Russian. And it's just such a good fucking season to watch this evil president based off Nixon and then would oddly be Trump uh, just be corrupt and watch Jack Bauer fight against the actual corruption that was going on in this fictional government that actually happened in real life twice. The other issue with the show is its use of torture. Like it, it glorifies torture and season four. Yeah. um, Season four is not the first time torture was featured on the show in season two. You see it a lot too. In one example, Jack Bauer extracted information from a detainee by forcing him to watch a streaming video of the execution staged. It turned out of his child. Yeah. And, One of the characters is supposed to be the moral center, uh, Kate Warner, who's like a love interest. And she actually calls Jack out for it. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is just a tactic. I didn't actually do it. She's like, but that's still wrong. Oh, yeah. You see this a lot in season four, too. People tell him, like, stop. And then he shoots a guy in the leg to get information. I mean, in season four, torture goes beyond being an infrequent shock bid to being a main threat of the plot. At least half a dozen characters undergo interrogation under conditions that meet conventional definitions of torture. I actually found myself feeling really uncomfortable watching some of them. And they don't use torture on, you know, the detainees. They use them on American citizens, too, like the secretary of defense's son. His torture sequence, it was very brief, but... Good Lord, it was it was hard to watch. Also ties into what we discussed last week in the Poe's legendary episode, how he's literally being tortured because he doesn't want to tell his father that he's gay. And his father basically shuns him for it and says, the reason that this happened to me is because you're gay, which is just so wrong. I think to, to also emphasize how so wrong depicting that was, was that... 24 was then later used by Dick Cheney to justify the United States torture of uh, detainees at Guantanamo. And, and I think like in Afghanistan, in Iraq. And so it is kind of like the perils of putting stories out there and how people will use them however they want to use them. And it's quite interesting that the show, like, picked up on this and tried to quote unquote rectify their past decisions in season seven because the entire like through line of season seven was Jack having to come to terms for what he did 
like season seven starts with him being subpoenaed by the Senate Intelligence Committee for his egregious acts of, of torture in the U.S. And the entire season just kind of wrestles with is Jack justified? And that's where we get the quote that I mentioned earlier where they literally wrote the lines for Kiefer to like say that he'll do whatever is necessary to save lives. And the show kind of like Renee Walker's character over the course of the season starts to become more and more quote unquote Jack Bauer in allowing him to torture people. At first she is repulsed by it, but then she slowly is turned around to it and people who speak out against Jack are killed in the show. So it's just interesting how the show tried to rectify, but still didn't fully address how egregious it was showing torture in this way. Yeah. I mean, it torture scenes were crucial to the theme of season four, which examined the consequences of Bauer's belief, which was the end justifies the means, but Despite preventing a nuclear attack, there are several consequences to his actions. Dina Araz is killed in a risky sting operation. Paul Raines dies when Jack forces the only available surgeon to save a suspect. He loses the love of Audrey Raines and ultimately has to fake his own death and start a new life. Like, good Lord. Yeah, but season five is great. (laughs) It's just... I I feel so conflicted about this show because I have such nostalgia for it because of the time when I started watching it when I was a teen, basically. But I also feel like this show is just relevant because it forces these conversations to happen, whether or not people want to have them or, or not. It just really makes you think about this country and it makes you think about the discussions we're talking about around police brutality and defunding the police. And, and like, even now our president is considering deploying federal agents to New York city and other cities across the country just because, and this show really, I think is relevant because it, it doesn't address all of these issues, but it makes you think about it and puts it at the forefront And I honestly think that this show should be critiqued by more scholars in general and should be discussed on Senate floors and should be addressed because maybe, just maybe, it can kind of lead to some sort of change. If if AOC was talking about Kiefer Sutherland and Jack Bauer and police brutality, would something change? Maybe not, but I think that more people need to be talking about the show and having these conversations. I'm I'm dropping all these hot takes about this show because <laughs> you are <laughs> it's so like I just uh, a lot. If I if I'd watched this as a teenager, I would not have had a problem with it. I would have just simply thought of it as like an action thriller. But now watching it and having seen the the timeline that we lived through from 9-11 to now it's it's definitely a much different viewing experience than it what i imagine it would have been pre 9-11 and now with everything going on in the country still it's just it's it's hard for me to root for jack bauer because i'm just like he's done so many disgusting things himself 
and I don't know. It's I I like Groot for him in the sense that he lost his wife and and basically has ostracized his own daughter. So that's why I root I root for him in the sense that he's just a lonely individual who's just acting on his white tendencies of white fragility. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I don't necessarily need to like or root for the main character of a TV show to still enjoy the TV show. And so for me, that's that's not quite an issue, but I do think that it's totally left me. Never mind. It'll come back. I'll let you know when. <laughs> I will say, despite its problems, I think it is, it's a very well executed action thriller. Like it, Houston Chronicle said it best. It grabs you and it never lets go. That's, that's the thing about it. It really, once you're drawn in, you just have to keep watching it. And the fact that it's divided into one hour per episode, that timeline, I'm just like, I need to know what happens in the span of 24 hours. Just keep going. And it's so fascinating to think about your own life and like what you do in 24 hours. And that's like what the show kind of capitalizes on. Because when I'm watching and I'm thinking, when are they going to the bathroom? <laughs> when are they eating? Like sometimes you'll see them drinking coffee or water, but you never like see them using the bathroom unless it's to go and like covertly call somebody because apparently in 2001 you didn't bring your phone with you in the bathroom i love <laughs> i love watching all of those weird episodes where they're like why was your phone with you in the bathroom why does someone need to bring their phone with them why not it's like why not you should, you should always have your phone in the bathroom yeah i like how uh well well when they're going to the bathroom is when we're going to the bathroom in between breaks. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um oh I remember. So what I also liked well so the format of the show and the longevity for me like Jack Bauer like I just knew Jack Bauer was always going to survive. I mean like he he is the main character but also just like I I was never it, it, it's kind of reassuring but also kind of lowers the stakes, I think, dramatically, just a little bit, that, that you know, like, by the end of hour 24, like, Jack will probably have solved it. Have, we'll have also fucked up a lot of things along the way, but, like, there will be some kind of resolution, and he will probably still be alive because there's, there's 10 seasons in a movie and two spinoffs, right? There's a lot of content, yeah. so... so um, but I do think that's one of the reasons why this show is so great is because all the other characters around Jack, like, no one is safe. And I really don't want to spoil season one because mm -hmm. I think it's it was so shocking to me when I watched it and my jaw dropped. And every time I rewatch it, it's... I just can't believe they did it. But I just really think the show goes there in their willingness to kill off main characters other than Jack. And so to me, it never feels like, oh, he's safe. And like when I was watching it, like I didn't know what was going to happen in between season four and season five. Like Jack faked his own death for all I knew, like that was it. And they didn't know the show was going to come back in season five, which is another reason why it's the best season, in my opinion. <laughs> but I just think that the show's willingness to go there makes it great, even if you know Jack's going to survive throughout 20 years of content. 
give or take. It's, it's something that like the straightforwardness of like episode one is like from midnight to one episode two is from one to two. I really appreciate, especially since this current era of TV and especially prestige TV that we have sometimes likes to tie itself into circles and knots and um, winding mazes literally and figuratively. And so um, like watching Westworld, you kind of have to have read it open to have any kind of understanding of like what's going on and like which timeline are you in. And 24 is, is just like, you know, you know where you're at. <laughs> We're giving like, you I the time. I normally hate like huge show recaps, but 24 just like mastered the show recap. Even like South Park spoofed it at one point. Just like previously on 24. And like the crazy sweeping uh like SFX happening with the names like Jack Bauer. I did really like that. Yeah, I'm not hard. into recaps, but I hate that watching part. those was like I was like, oh, this is actually great in case like it's been a couple days and I haven't watched 24. This will really fill in the gaps. And they yeah. did. I I really appreciate that they showed the names of everyone. I was like, great. I can keep up with all the characters in the show. And it gets like so funny, like the last season, because it's a shortened season. Like there's so many characters that were introduced and like Benjamin Bratt is in the last season. And it's just like, what is his name? Oh, that guy. Okay, cool. So I love the recaps. <sighs> Despite all my problems with it, I do appreciate that I can see at the time of air the show was very unique. Like, I don't think at that point anyone had done anything close to what 24 did. And I think it still stands out like several years later. I mean, watching it now on Hulu, I was like, oh, I, I haven't seen any, anything like this. This feels very fresh, even though the show is over. It just it really stands out from all the other shows that I'm watching right now. Yeah, and like The West Wing, another one of my favorite shows, it was interesting that so many people wanted to guest star on this show. And, like, Benjamin Bratt and Freddie Prince Jr., like, what the fuck? Like, he wanted to be in this show. And Leighton Meester. Yeah, Leighton Meester and Janine Garofalo. Like, so many interesting actors who got their start guesting in 24 or were established and decided, you know what, I'm going to go on this show because it's popular. It was just so interesting to me that this show had that much of an effect when it was on. And I, I was, watched it when it was on. I, I was so sad Leighton Meester got poisoned. She was not long for the world of 24. Nope. Well, I think we can kind of get into the final judgment. We've discussed at length pros, cons, positive things, troubling things about this franchise. So my take, it's essential if you're into action thrillers to keep you on the edge of your seat. Also essential if you're into the intricacies of the U.S. government and its intelligence agencies. And finally, also essential, if like me, you stand Kiefer Sutherland. He's so hot as Jack Bauer. Love him. Love you, Kiefer. I know you're listening to this pod. Thank you. 
the most ironic thing is that Kiefer Sutherland is Canadian. I know. That's also why it makes it so good. He's such a nice guy. Oh my God. I was shocked when Gina told me that. I was like, no, he's not Canadian. Not that there's anything wrong with being Canadian, but. Yeah. Also, the Canadians have their own legacy of like really problematic racial politics. So the um, stereotype that Canadians are nice is just also totally false. Um, He was nice. He's a nice human being. Like I've watched so many videos of him and one of my friends actually went to undergrad with his daughter. So she always tells me stories about how nice of a person he is. (laughs) Kiefer. (laughs) Uh, my ruling on this is that it is also essential I think it is a really interesting time capsule just like how West Wing was about sort of like the ideals of the Clinton era and then bringing those through the George W. Bush era and then into the Obama era 24 also does that for um, the entirety of Uh, George Bush's presidency and then also its reactions and how it evolved story-wise line and and how it explored Jack's motivations and actions later on during the Obama era and and then finally like legacy in like the the early naive Trump years. It's It's so interesting (laughs) sorry to cut you off that 24 and West Wing were on at the same time I'm just like realizing this Network TV, got to fill those hours. So, yeah, 24 did a fantastic job, I think, doing that, uh, establishing a very unique, different kind of TV format and really reflecting on, uh, reflecting the times that, that it was airing in. I agree with all those points. Gina put it more eloquently than me, but I think 24 is essential in that it is a time capsule of that age of the politics of America and what was happening all over the world. Um, And also in that it's got this legacy as a TV show that really did something really unique. And I don't think anyone else has copied it very well. And obviously you get a very quintessential character in the form of Jack Bauer. Like even not knowing anything about the show, I immediately know who he is. When he appeared in a guest starring role in an SNL digital short, I was like, oh, I know who that is. Yes, great short. (laughs) (laughs) The Bajan C video where he and Chloe stand Rihanna and get shot because of it. Yeah. (laughs) oh man well I think it's rare for all of us to agree that the show is essential like sometimes at least one of us is like eh no I just really love that it's happening with one of my favorite shows and with that we're wrapping up another episode and season one can't believe it of the essentials thanks for listening and we'll see you next time You've got feedback for us. If you have liked what you've heard, please leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. If you've got a recommendation for what shows we should cover next season, you can email us at theessentials at substack.com. <laughs>